Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery. And that is why the Machinery Digest exists. A no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello my friends and welcome to Idle Chatter. My name is Ray Bohax and I am your host. And Idle Chatter is a show that is coming to you from the Farm Machinery Digest in case you are a new listener. So hopefully today is finding things going well for you. I know a good majority of the country is locked in some cold and snowy weather. We're supposed to get a pretty good snow dump later this week I think we're supposed to and I'm over in New Jersey for those of you that have not listened before and uh, we're supposed to get uh, I guess three or four inches which is not bad uh, the next couple of days but then over the weekend we're supposed to get a pretty good uh, dump and God willing it uh, goes out to sea and misses us I think they're predicting about uh, 8 to 12 inches, which isn't too, too bad, but uh, I could do without it, which I'm sure uh, most of you feel the same way. So, hey, what are you going to do? It's winter time, and if it wasn't snowy and cold, then they would say that it's global warming. And now that it's, if it's snowy and cold, now we say it's climate change. So, I guess you can't win, right? But uh, nothing too much new here. Uh, we did get my Hot Rod Farmer YouTube channel set up. There is um, one video on there from Growth Energy, which is a supporter of my Farm Machinery Digest website, and they're an ethanol organization, and they have a sh- an excellent 45-second or 50-second short video uh, just explaining to the public the benefits of E15. Uh, which is 88-octane gasoline. I think that's how most people are going to, uh, most retailers are going to distribute it as, or brand it as. So if you get a chance, check that out. You could go to www.farmmachinerydigest.com and uh, listen to it. You have to open up one of the tabs because it's what is called a sidebar ad. And also there's an excellent new ad there from our special delivery segment sponsor, Firestone Ag, and in the sidebar, and it's called Tread Matters. And that really is a uh, a very, very interesting and well-done short little uh, story about a farmer who uses Firestone tires. So if you're you're snooping around on the internet, check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. And you could also check out the rest of my website while you're there. Uh, If you've been to the website and looked around, you would see that in essence, it has the elements of a magazine. So it's not a digital magazine, but it has a lot of elements of a digital magazine. It has a editorial column. It has monthly features and what have you. So uh, like I say, we're trying our best to get information to the farm 
and ranch and agricultural community so they could be more profitable than their farm shop and not let poor decisions as far as their machinery is concerned suck their profits up. You're ready. So that is, uh, that's about it for that, I guess, right? I'm going to tell you about today's show. Today's show is called Full Pull. And uh, if any of you are tractor pullers or fans of tractor pulling, that you will understand uh, what that term means when you make a full pull. And back around, oh, I'll date myself, probably around 1989 or 1990, I think it was 1990, my uh, buddy Gene and I went out to uh, Youngstown, Ohio area, which is by uh, Canfield Fairgrounds, which is a lot of events going on. And we were out there, I think, for maybe it was, uh, I don't think it was Fourth of July weekend, maybe it was uh, Labor Day weekend. And at that particular year, our corn harvest didn't start yet, so we got a, I got away for a couple of days. But while we were out there at the Canfield Fairgrounds, not the Canfield Fair, which is a wonderful fair, it's the largest fair east of the Mississippi, but on the Canfield Fairgrounds in Canfield, Ohio, that's how it got its name if you're not familiar with it, they had a tractor pull going on. And we had never been to a tractor pull. And you may say to yourself, well, how can you be a farmer and not have gone to a tractor pull? Well, let me just explain something to you. Farming 60 miles, 65 miles from New York City in northwest New Jersey is not like farming in Iowa. Uh, so, or any place else in the country, is that we don't have a lot of things going on here because the uh, agricultural community, though still vibrant, is not as large as the uh, in other areas and it's being influenced by the people moving up from the city. So, things that someone may take for granted in a true agrarian community or agrarian setting, for instance, uh, Go, being able to go to a tractor pull, being able to have two or three different sources to buy agricultural inputs, fertilizers, chemicals, what have you, uh, we do not have here. So as I've said you know, many times before, farming in New Jersey is like a Whitman's sampler box, chocolate sampler box. You have a, a little of everything, a lot of nothing. So because of that, there are no there are no real tractor pulls here in this area. So you'd have to go either down south, out of into Delaware, out into Pennsylvania, or up in New York State, or any points further south or west or north of here to find that. So anyway, we were bumming around and just exploring, and uh, I have a bit of a vagabond uh, side to me, I guess a little bit more than a bit, I'm of Ukrainian heritage, so I guess that I must have some gypsy in me. But anyway, so we found out that at the Canfield Fairgrounds that they were having a tractor pull. So we went to the tractor pull. And I'll tell you, I had a ball. I didn't know what I was looking at as far as the classes were concerned, but both of us had a ball. And that is where we actually were exposed to the term full pull. And uh, and just to see these guys with these these tractors, and uh, I particularly subsequently I learned a little bit more about the hobby, uh, and 
I, I mean, I'm an engine guy, so I love anything with a motor, so it doesn't take much for me to fall in love with that. But as far as getting exposed to the different classes are concerned, and I particularly, and forgive me if I have this wrong, if you're a tractor puller, then you could send me an email at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and correct me. But I like, I think, what's called the stock and the super stock class, which I'm a drag racer, so I'm really familiar with those terms. I like the tractors that that run, that look like a farm tractor and uh, still run a diesel engine and they uh, have the engine and everything from uh, that would that came from the factory all albeit very modified so I which is akin to like a, a super stocker in drag racing and stock eliminator so I like those uh, I think what they I don't that other class would have like four engines and it doesn't look like like a tractor just like a whole mass of engines I mean it's really neat the way they synchronize those engines all together and there's a lot of engineering in it but uh, it really doesn't float my boat like the tractors that are that are burnt that are compression ignition burning diesel fuel and rolling some coal and uh, look like the brand that they are so anyway <clears throat> but you know this term full pull and subsequently I've used it many times in my life. I've used it as a metaphor, and the metaphor of making, uh, you know, in the, in the drag racing, we would call it a full pass or running it out the back door, and meaning that we, you know, made a good pass down the drag strip, and that may also be a local term. Other parts of the country, the drag racers may call it something different, but you know, as far as a full pull is concerned, I think we really in life we need to make a full pull so i'm taking that from my uh, good friends that are tractor pullers so we need to make a full pull and that's really what this podcast is about today but this show is not about tractor pulling it's using the term full pull as a metaphor for you being able to make a to start your planting season and end your harvest season with no mate with hopefully no mechanical breakdowns whatsoever and if you do have something happen that it's only minor so that's what for this show that's what I'm identifying as a full pull you start in the spring and you end in the fall and you have no mechanical failures and just like anything in life, for you to make a full pull is is not by chance. Uh, you'll all of us know somebody who happens to uh, just walk up to the bus stop, and the bus pulls up and it says success on the front. And they don't even know it when they get there. But most that wasn't my life story. <laughs> I would usually, you know, get the bus schedule. And I'm saying metaphorically in life, get the bus schedule of life, study the schedule, make my plans, get up, get up early so I don't miss the bus, get there, wait for the bus and keep looking up, looking up, looking up the street, waiting for the bus to come. And then later on, find out that the schedule I got was printed wrong and the bus isn't coming that day. So that's been this, the story of my life, is that uh, I always get to the bus stop uh, or the wrong bus stop. And I'm sure many of us feel that way in our lives also, is that it's the, uh, but it's those bumps in the road, it's those missing that bus and having the wrong schedule printed that builds the character in us and also uh, gives us the ability and the opportunity to trust in God and to keep our eyes in our destination because when things come too easily to someone 
first of all, you uh, become stiff-necked, you become pompous, and you need to be humbled in life and know that our Lord guides your path. And if you trust in him, and he will guide you to the path, even though at that at one particular point, it may look like he's got you on the wrong road, but he never has you on, he never has those who have faith in him on the wrong road. But to make this full pull, you know, at, at, at the tractor pulls on the track there requires a lot of work and a lot of preparation and a lot of forethought. And, you know, it's very easy to sit in the stands of life, in the bleachers of life, and see someone and think that they made this full pull. And I'm, like I said, then again, I'm using that using that as a metaphor full pull in life and see that they've got what they what they have or they've accomplished these things or what have you then think that they just uh, came out of nowhere that they just walked up to the bus stop and the bus was there and i know you know coming from my other life being a magazine writer in the automotive industry and the agricultural industry is that you know people when i first started my writing career back in 1996 in car magazines, you know, my name Bohax is is very easy to recognize. Most people can't pronounce it. it's like a bow and a hacksaw, but it's easily it's easily recognized in the byline of a magazine article. And uh, what would happen is people would think that I came out of nowhere. That all of a sudden I just you know picked up a well there was ready we weren't using pens word processor and started to type and uh, all of a sudden got into the hot rod magazine and all these other things and uh, and what have you and you know human nature being what it is is that you know, we tend to think that of people even you know the most nailed down person with their mindset if you meet someone that you tend to think that they uh you don't really look at the road that they had to travel and the pitfalls to get to their success. And I'm using the word success, and success is a very broad-based term in my mind because, you know, success, I don't just mean financial success. I mean success in life and to, you know, to be happy, to be contented, and, uh, you know, to be a good steward of what God has entrusted to you to take good care of your health and all of those things. So uh, all those things together. I mean, today, as far as the show is concerned, we're going to use the term success in in a, uh, I don't want to say a monetary way, but in a way, in a business sense. In other words, I don't want you to spend money on unnecessary breakdowns. And I also don't want you to, to lose time in the field. And I've said this before, is that I look at every piece of farm equipment. I don't care whether it's your pickup truck or your sprayer or your combine or planter, what have you, is that I look at it as almost as an emergency vehicle. That it's got to roll when it's got to roll. And, you know, specifically with the planter, because the industry has said... Uh, that you know for every day that you uh, miss the optimum planting window i think it's about a 0.52 percent of yield so let's say a half a percent of yield well i think actually it's a little bit more because i think if you uh lose five days of yield it's just under about 2.9 five days past the optimum planting window you lose about 2.9 percent of your yield so that's really important so anything that we could do in the farm shop to be able to make that full pull and you know as the planting season goes on if you've got to get in the field and spray whether you whether you're burning off some weeds or you're putting on a uh, uh, uh doing a foliar application of fungicide or, or nutrient or 
whatever is going on in that field, I mean, if rain is coming the next two days and you have to get in that field, then that sprayer has to run. So there's not a piece of farm equipment that I think of as not like an ambulance or a fire truck. It basically has to roll what it has to roll. And that journey for that starts right now. And as I said in last week's podcast, I'm going to use the... um, the next couple of shows to talk about things that you could do in your farm shop to allow you to get a full pull and once again i'm going to define a full pull as you getting getting in on that tractor that piece of equipment in the spring and getting it off in the fall and other than doing routine service during that time whether it needed to have a be greased or have the oil change or hydraulic fluid or something because you ran so many hours that I want to have no downtime in that piece of equipment and if you have no downtime in that piece of equipment then you have no excuse to not highly manage your crop and if you do and if you highly manage your crop you're going to have the, the highest yield the potential I should say for the highest yield obviously the weather conditions come into play but I don't want you to say to go to the coffee shop and go, oh man, I would have had a great yield this year, but I couldn't get in the field because and, and do a and do a foliar feeding of my beans because the tra- the sprayer broke down or the tractor broke down. I don't want that. All right, I want you to challenge yourself. I want you to challenge yourself, and I want a full pull. So I want at the end of the year for you to contact me this fall, fall 2019, when harvest 2019 is over, and I want you to say, I would say, Ray, I made a full pull. And so that's what today's show is about. Now, on your road, no pun intended, to a full pull, I am going to suggest three or four different things that most people overlook. And the first thing that I'm going to discuss is that when you're working over the winter on your equipment in the shop, it's very, very important. And I'm going to skip the part about doing a visual inspection on everything because I don't want to waste air time on that. I mean, you should be doing that without me telling you to do that. So I'm going to pinpoint a few different areas for you to emphasize that a lot of farmers are not doing and i know they're not doing it because i get letters from them with problems and i say to myself oh well geez i don't say this to them but i say you know if the guy would have taken care of this three months ago it would not have been an issue so let's get started Alrighty, we're on the road to a full pull and the first place that i want you to look at and put on your list of things to do is to familiarize yourself with the location and the integrity of all of the ground circuits on every piece of equipment that you have that has some sort of electronics on it. So arguably, if you are a field cultivator has no ground circuits on so we're not going to discuss that but if you have a planter that has electric the electronic controls on it some sort of some sort of system or whatever brand it may be or has electric seed meters on it or has some sort of downforce or what have you that goes in the same list as a tractor or a combine or a sprayer or any other support vehicle if you're you're a hay guy you may have a uh a forage ho- not, not forage harvester a dairy i have forage harvester but i uh you may have a uh, hay bind or what have you so 
anything that has ground circuits on it, I want you to become very familiar with them and I want you to confirm their integrity. And what people do not understand is that on today's modern equipment and what I consider modern equipment is anything that has any sort of electronics on it. And remember, electronics means that it has some sort of circuitry. Electrical means that it works on electricity. So the starter motor is, ele is, is electrical. It's not electronic. Your, your, um, your yield monitor is electronic. All right, your anything that's a, your engine control on a later model engine is electronic. Common rail fuel injection. So why do you need to understand the ground circuits and confirm their integrity and all of their locations? Well, first you have to find your locations before you find the integrity. So what, what I want you to do is to listen to what I'm going to say. You know, in agriculture, as many of you have heard, because I don't think that it's a, a uh, saying that is only used in the Northeast, is that manure and rain hide a, lot of, hide a lot of sins of bad farming. And when a piece of equipment did not have a lot of electronics on it, if, or no electronics whatsoever, it was very forgiving of a poor ground circuit path. Once we started to add electronics, there was a cumulative effect, and the the um, requirement of that ground circuit to be a hundred percent efficient is exponential as you put more electronic components on the piece of machinery. Now, in very simple terms. And it's really, and you know, you know, I'm saying very simple terms. I'm not going to belabor you with it and make you electronic, electrical engineer. But the fact of the matter is, is that almost everything on a piece of equipment works on DC. So that's direct current versus AC, which you would find in the building. And in DC, you have a voltage supply and you have a ground. It's the bacon and the eggs. And if that ground circuit is inefficient, and what we would call in, electro in electronics a high impedance ground. And impedance is resistant to flow, to electron flow, to current flow, voltage flow. It's actually resistance to electron flow, but it's basically a restriction in the line. And if you have a piece of equipment with a high impedance ground, then you are going to have uh, the potential for a host of many different problems but the thing is that those problems will present in could present in many different ways. And a while back, a few weeks ago, I did a podcast on differential diagnosis. And if you didn't listen to that, I would suggest that you listen to it because it teaches you or provides a thought process for accurate diagnosis. And when, you, when a piece of equipment has a high impedance ground, we cannot anticipate how that system is going to malfunction. So it's, but it's going to do something wrong because it would be just akin to like having an engine, let's say a gasoline engine or a diesel engine, internal combustion engine with water in the fuel. And depending upon the amount of water is in the fuel, depending upon the system, depending upon the 
the state of tune of the rest of the engine and the load it's under, it's going to present in a different way. You may have a little bit of water content in the fuel and the, the engine may run fine. You may And you may have a, a little bit more. You may have a, a vacuum leak or something on the engine and now you have some water and it doesn't run fine. So And it gives you a problem. So the thing to keep in mind is that whenever you have an electrical circuit that is doing something crazy or inconsistently, you need to check the ground circuit. But since we have all winter in the farm shop, I want you to do these simple steps. Number one, for each machine that you have, identify the amount of grounds and locate them so you know where they are and I like to write them down in a notebook so this way you could say combine 14 grounds and you could you could just write something on any type of system three three uh, under the dashboard and whatever two uh, two in the engine compartment what have you wherever they happen to be and I want you to identify the number of grounds and you could even actually label them uh, as you find them and you could label them and write either with a paint pen. If it's a nice piece of equipment, you probably don't want to do that. But you could take one of those label machines and write one, two, three, four, five, whatever. So you know that you have identified where all those grounds are. And then once you've identified all of those grounds, this is during the winter time. This is to make your full pull, remember. This is not a re emergency repair in the field when you're trying to plant and something acts funny is I want you to first look at them, visually look at them. I want you to look at where the ground is connected to the frame of the machine. And I want it to be clean and shiny and unpainted. And then if possible, I want you to look up into the, look. when I say look up, study, if you may need to use a flashlight, look at where the wire goes onto the eyelet because it's common to get corrosion there. So you're going to do a good visual inspection. What I like to do is I like to uh, take them off, clean them, clean the, the grounding surface, clean the eyelet, clean the, the bolt because the bolt is part of the ground circuit. And then I want to study that. And you could put some anti-corrosion like a dielectric grease on it if you want, but it's not really necessary. And, and I want you to do a visual. Then after you do your visual... I want you to confirm the integrity of that ground with a voltage drop test. And I've discussed the voltage drop test in brief on this show before, but I'm going to go over it again. It's very simple to do. The biggest problem is that you're going to need two people in most instances, and you're going to need to make up some long jumper leads. And what a voltage drop test is you are reading the amount of electrons that are traffic jammed, that are backed up, that cannot go to ground. So I always like to make the analogy of cows exiting a barn. So you're a dairy farmer, you milk the cows, they're going to go outside now. You have 100 cows in the barn, and you have a gate that only allows one cow to pass through at a time. So what's going to happen is the cows are going to funnel through, and you are going to have a traffic jam of cows trying to exit the barn. Alrighty? When you do a voltage drop test, you are reading the traffic jam of, of electrons that are trying to go to ground. So let's say arguably I work on your farm and I'm letting the cows out of the barn. They've just been milked and you're standing out in the field waiting for them. And you call me on the radio and you say to me, Ray, 
what's the story with the cows there? How many cows need to exit the barn yet? So I quickly count. They said, okay, yes, uh, there's 22 cows that are left to exit the barn yet. Says, okay, they'll be here in a couple of minutes. Thank you. So what? The, so I've identified how many cows are in the traffic jam. And that is what the voltage drop test is going to do. You're going to read how much voltage traffic jam cannot get through to ground. And it's very simply done. What you're going to do is you're going to take your digital voltometer, and you could use an analog meter if you have that also. Your digital voltometer, you're going to go on your lowest scale, and you're going to take the positive lead, and you're going to put it to that ground, to that eyelet or that bolt, wherever that wire affixes or moors to the frame or whatever it may be grounding to on that particular machine. And then you're going to take the negative lead and you're going to hook it up to the battery ground cable. So the positive lead is going to be on the ground that is being checked and the negative lead on the battery ground or another ground, a clean unpainted ground, unrusted ground to the frame because you may have a combine or something and it's so far apart you'd have to have a 30 foot wire. That's the hard part about this is just getting the wire length properly. And then what you're going to do is you're going to have the voltmeter there and then you're going to have your helper evoke that circuit. And what I mean by evoke is you're going to turn it on. So let's say it's for the lights. You're going to check. So you're going to have the negative lead on the negative terminal of the battery and you're going to have the positive lead onto the ground that's being checked and then your helper is going to turn on that circuit powered up so we will use an example of the lights and you're going to read the voltage the traffic jam of electrons the traffic jam of cows that are waiting to get out of the barn and on a good circuit on a, on a circuit with a, a a proper ground so not a high impedance high resistance ground you should have let's say no more than two tenths of a volt so that's 0 0.2 so ideally you should have about one tenth of a volt or less but in practical sense we would accept two tenths of a volt and so if your voltmeter reads 0.5 then that is a high impedance ground you cannot confirm this with an ohmmeter because an ohmmeter only measures whatever voltage that little battery 9 volt battery or AA battery has in the circuit to push through the wire so an ohm meter is not a way to check a ground so if it's more than two tenths of a volt with the circuit evoked then what you have to do is play Sherlock Holmes and you gotta find out where the resistance is if the surface is very clean it may be where you got corrosion back up into the into the wire you may have to look back up there you may the surface may be clean but not clean enough so the key is two tenths of a volt or less all right so we're going to identify all the grounds and on each machine on your planter what have you and we're going to do a voltage drop test you know sadly i've read some instructions for some companies and about you know converting to electric electric uh, meters on a planter 
and no place that I have seen it. It may very well be because I could be wrong, but after, if you look at the installation instructions, or if you look at the installation structure, anything that's electrical, electronic that you're putting a retrofitting to a piece of equipment, nowhere does it tell you to confirm your ground path with a voltage drop test. They'll say connect to a good ground and they'll leave it at that. Alrighty, so we're going to go around and we're going to check all of that and we're going to confirm. We're not just going to look at the ground and say, oh, it looks good because your eyes are deceiving. Looking at a ground with your eyes is like driving by a cornfield at 60 miles an hour on the highway. And, you know, unless that plant is dying or really nutrient deficient that you could see it, you're not going to be able to ride by and, and, and at 60 miles an hour and tell me that corn needs a little bit of boron or, or needs a little manganese or whatever. You're not going to be able to tell that as long as the plant is green and standing up, you're going to think it looks good. And that's basically, in essence, you know, it's just, just like checking a PCV valve on a gas engine. You know, people rattle them. All rattling tells you on a PCV valve is that your arm moves and that your ears work. That's it. It doesn't tell you the integrity of the valve. And looking at a ground circuit does not tell you the integrity of it. Is that you have to, yes, I would, if I saw it all corroded, I would clean it first before I did my voltage drop test. Now, ready? Enough said. We're not going to beat you up with that, all right? Next thing I want you to look at during the winter that you may not look at, and remember, we're making a full pole, baby. We're going from planting or spring field work. Let's back up from spring field work to harvest full pull. No failures, no extra money put into that machine. We're going to be running like an efficient machine, like a like a like a like a an Air Force fighter. No excuses. All right. So the next thing that I want to talk about is the hydraulic system on your equipment, and. You know, it goes without saying, I'm sure that most of you are good about changing the filters. And the operative word is most, because I know that in a community as large as agriculture, you can have some people that are uh, really good about stuff, and some people that are in the middle, and some people that just believe that, uh, you know, you change filters in the middle of the field when the equipment stops working. So I guess that's just human nature. And, you know, and as an aside to this, I've seen so many people, and I've said this before, and I won't mention any names, that, you know, we talk about all these high-yield farmers, and, and I mean, I'm certainly not a high-yield farmer, and I can't compete with them as far as that is concerned, but I see so many high-yield farmers, and I'm not saying everyone, the few that I was exposed to, that, you know, their equipment is not high-yield, and they've, uh, lots of them are very sloppy with their equipment and with that aspect of it. And sadly, if they would have, and it's, I always said it's easier to be a high yield equipment person than it is to be a high yield farmer. Because if you do everything right and keep after everything and do these simple things that I talk about on my show, is that, you know, you're going to be high yield. You don't have to rein, reinvent the, 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 the combine or the tractor or the sprayer or the engine the pickup truck you don't have to reinvent it you just have to maintain it and be mindful of it so anyway so what i like to do is and depending upon you know how many hours you put on stuff and this is going to take a little bit of an investment up front if you don't already have it but you know getting back to what the crop looks at 60 miles an hour going down the road and the guys in your neighbor's field you know, with your hydraulic system just because the pump works 
and if it's a three-point hitch and the levers move up and down or what have you and you have some flow doesn't mean that system is healthy so we need to be able to quantify the health of that hydraulic system during the winter in that in the shop so that when we get in the field we do not have any issues or a uh and a failure and specifically during planting time that will slow us down and have us possibly uh, lose that optimal planting window so the first thing that I would like for you to do or I suggest for you to do is make the investment and you'd have to look at it for the equipment you have most larger operations that are consumers of my podcast and website have have a lot of different machines that are quite large and they're farming or ranching uh, business so this will that'll predicate what you what test equipment you get but I need or I would like for you to get some sort of hydraulic pressure gauge set up that you would be able to read the pressure on the hydraulic system and I would also like for you to be able to confirm how the flow rate of the hydraulic system now a company called OTC uh, Owatonna Tool Company great 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 company they make a beautiful tester it's a tester and flow meter and also with a thermometer in it for fluid temperature because the temperature of the fluid will impact the flow and the pressure but uh and it's model 4278 it is quite costly Uh, last time i looked i think it's over a thousand dollars or closer to two thousand dollars but personally you know I think it's a great investment and you could buy less expensive testers what's nice about this is that's a pressure and flow all-in-one unit with with a thermometer so it's very simple to operate and the fact of the matter is is that you know human nature being what it is if something is awkward to operate you're not going to do it alrighty so I mean unless you're really really you know a, a very focused person so in essence I'm not going to tell you what to buy but what you need to do is you need to check not only the operating pressure of that hydraulic system but you also need to check the flow in gallons per hour and if you look in your shop manual or look in your specifications or even if the brochure for the piece of equipment they'll usually tell you the flow rate in gallons per hour and uh, that's why I'm saying is that if you have a larger operation you're going to need something that tests more gallons per hour than a small Mickey Mouse farm like I have but anyway it is imperative it imperative that you check the pressure and the flow and you have to understand the pressure flow relationship is that you could have a hydraulic pump that is starting to fail and under no pressure it could ma- it could give you the gallons per hour that you that it calls for the specification and conversely that you could so you could have you could have the pressure reading well but to have that pressure reading well only with the gauge is that you were not going to have the gallon flow or vice versa so hydraulics is a is, is a pressure flow relationship and it's very important and you know specifically you're running some of these planters and everything you need those high flow uh, hydraulics and just because you know it's running a, a hydraulic motor in the back it don't mean that it's right I mean that's not proper English but it, I'm trying to get my point across and then again like soil testing or tissue testing you know once you see it 
Once you see it on the plant, you all know. Once you see it on the plant, forget about it. It's all over. Once you could see it, it's all over. So the thing basically is, is that you already lost yield, buddy. Don't even try to rescue it in most instances. But the fact is that we need to be able to confirm the pressure and the flow. And we also need to be able to confirm the uh, independently pressure independently max flow max flow so you could set the pressure relief valve if need to be or adjust that and then also we need to be able to confirm that at the operating pressure we have the flow that we need and like i say it's it's once you get the lines hooked up for your piece of equipment the biggest the, the biggest uh investment is the is the is the test equipment and like i say it's a one-time shot and often i've said on on the podcast is that you know some of these things you got a buddy that's a that's a good guy like you are and you know co-op this with them you're not going to be using a, a two thousand dollar otc pressure flow meter uh every day so co-op it with a buddy you know with you know, with two or three guys, put three, four hundred dollars a piece into it. You know, you you know who's good with equipment. You know who you could trust. And then you say, hey, yo, Joe, I need. I'm going to check my equipment. And you know, and you and he takes the takes the tool, and you know, you give him the tool, and you check everything. It's not something you're going to be using every day. But the fact of the matter is, is that you know you're going to be chasing your tail if you don't assign numbers to it, and you need to assign the pressure and flow numbers, and then you could basically and with this you would be able to uh predict if there's a problem happening with that hydraulic pump and uh so very simple get your specifications out right get the proper equipment get the proper uh, proper uh connections to hook it up hook it up in series read the pressure read the flow and the other thing that i want you to do is go around on your hydraulic system and snug everything if you have access to the pump snug the pump bolts so there's so that there's no leak uh, there's no uh, there's no loss of vacuum in that pump that does that you break the siphon also all your connections and obviously give them a good visual inspection and the other thing that i want you to do is to take a few a sample of the hydraulic fluid and send it to a laboratory for analysis. So while we're on that, and it's going to divest a little bit, I suggest during the winter time you take a, a sample of your hydraulic fluid, how many different separate fluid locations there are, right? The fluids, all right? I would like to see an engine oil sample as long as that sample has at least 25 or 30 hours on it. And I would like to see a coolant sample in uh, from that radiator. And you know, keep in mind if you have a planter that has uh, that has a, a cooling system on it. I mean, they'd usually just put the hydraulic fluid through a uh, through a uh, heat exchanger. They're not going to run a radiator per se with a coolant in it, like an engine would. But you know, don't forget to sample those hydraulic systems, and don't forget to sample that you know that fluid with the laboratory and doing the same walk around on it because that could stop you dead in the water and it cost you yield and money also so it's a double-sided sword you're not only losing losing yield you're losing money for the repair and i'd much rather make a repair in the farm shop during the off season when if i have to wait three days for a part it's not the end of the world instead of instead of on april 14th when i want to get in the field and i planted 10 acres and then the pump takes a dump because i didn't check it Alrighty, so 
Whatever you want to do, look into it. You could do a Google search. You want flow. You want a flow meter and a pressure test. Uh, be able to test the pressure on your hydraulic system and assign numbers to it. Don't think because it moves up and down or the vacuum motor, uh, the the vacuum, the hydraulic motor works that everything is good. Alrighty. Now, the last thing I'm going to discuss today in our quest to make a full pull is that most engines on the farm and any type of piece of equipment, uh, most of them or the majority of them have mechanical valve lifters and not hydraulic valve lifters. You need to identify that on your equipment. And I know it's a pain in the neck to do it, and I don't like it, but it's something that I like. I, you know, I like it when it's done, but I don't like it when I have to do it, is that I want you to set the valve lash on all your engines. If you have excessive valve lash, not only you're losing power and, and efficiency, but you're actually beating up that valve stem, and you're beating up that rock ROM or follower, whatever, depending if it's an overhead cam design, that you're beating that all up and you're losing efficiency, and specifically on an exhaust valve, that if that exhaust valve is not opening enough, uh, yes, you are losing efficiency, but you do have the the opportunity for it to actually flame cut the cylinder head because the exhaust cannot evacuate that uh, fast enough and the then the flame will actually uh, cut the seat and cut the valve when the exhaust valve opens on any engine that is called blowdown because the pressure in the cylinder uh, from leftover residual combustion pressure is greater than that in the exhaust port and then once that pressure equalizes then uh, the action of the piston coming up at the top that center pushes the rest the rest of the exhaust gas out so if you don't have a lot of valve opening you're going to have a lot of heat on that exhaust valve and you could burn that head and and that's not going to be pretty and just think of how many bushels that's going to cost you alrighty so we don't want that and so you need to run the valves when you have the valve cover off I want you to look around if you have a lot of condensation or if there's anything that looks like any condensation not a lot in that valve cover then that breather that uh, crankcase breather system is not working well uh, on that engine and you need to address that because you'll actually pollute the oil and have it lose its lubricity and put acids in it I want you to grab all the rockers look at the rocker shafts get in there with a flashlight get in there with a drop light study everything all right if you have a, a, a engine that has the uh, fuel return line that's visible through the head look at that but also I want you to keep in mind that when you adjust the valves you want to check them first before you a lot of guys loosen up all the adjustments and they check them that's not a good way to do it because you are not able to tell the condition of that valve lash prior to you loosening up that adjuster so you want all the valves to be uniformly loose all right if you have if the valves are tightening up and predominantly this happens to an exhaust valve but if they're tightening up that is not a good sign and that means you have valve seat recession and you're starting to pull the valve through the cylinder head if any of you've taken my toolbox test on my website i believe the last test is a question about that so if every valve is three thousandths loose and you go to this one and it's three thousandths tight then and as long as it was adjusted properly the last time then that valve is starting to pull through the cylinder head and that's a problem it's actually that head is going to have to come off if you let that condition stay there like that and that valve starts to pull through you'll eventually knock the retainer 
off the valve, the locks will fall out and the valve will drop into the engine and bye bye, it's over with buddy. If a big diesel, 30, 40 grand, you launch that whole motor, you could be under, you know, under boost, high RPM, you're going through the field, pulling a heavy implement, it drops that valve, it's kicking it through the side of the block, and, you know, hey, $30,000 repair, plus you may not get your crop in the ground, or you may not get this, so there's a lot of strings attached to this so please 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 run your valves very important gives you a chance to to uh to look over everything and you know when the like my friends at ag phd the hefty brothers say you know what you know the most important thing for you to to, to see in your field is your shadow well that's the same thing on your equipment and what you want to do is i'm beating you up on this i know it i don't i'm not i don't be like a broken record but i want you to move to action i want your farm and ranch to be successful and you putting money into unnecessary repairs and also losing the optimum window to manage your crop to highly manage your crop at any time in its growth stage is going to cost you yield it's going to cost you money and look i'm i'm a straight shooter what you see is what you get it's your fault because if you didn't do it when you're supposed to do it, you didn't, like the Bible says, you didn't put the oil in your lamp when you're supposed to do it. And here comes the bridegroom, and now you're running around looking for oil. Forget about it. Alrighty? There's no excuses. Failure is not an option. I'm the hot rod farmer, and there's not an option. Remember, full pull. Anybody who went to that tractor pull, those guys who made the full pull, they put a lot of work they didn't, into getting that tractor to make that full pull, whether it's engine, power, suspension, what have you. And I want you to do that. So we're going to recap real quickly before we get into our special delivery letter. And so what I want you to do is confirm, identify and confirm the integrity of all of the ground circuits. I want you to uh, do fluid testing on all the fluids on that piece of equipment. I want you to, to, you could put together something, save some money, put together a way for you to check the hydraulic pressure in all of your hydraulic circuits on your machines and also the flow rate. And I want you to fluid test those hydraulic circuits to see whether the pump is starting to fail, even though you may still have good flow and pressure. And also pay attention to that needle. If that needle is quivering a lot, you have a problem. Alrighty? And then I want you to run the valves on the engine. I want you to look in that valve cover, take it off, clean it. I want you to move the rocker arms around, look at everything, do a visual on it, run those valves. If one is too tight, pulling through the head, it's a problem. You're going to have to pull that cylinder head off before you launch that motor. You ready? So I'm yelling at you, like I always do. All right, so now we're going to go into our special delivery segment. And uh, special delivery is proudly brought to you by Firestone Ag. They are a company that was founded by Harvey Firestone, who was a fourth-generation farmer from Columbiana, Ohio. Harvey always dreamed of putting rubber tires on farm tractors, and his innovative mindset is the core of Firestone Ag today, and lives on with their 23-degree tread bar and AD2 technology. The soil is the lifeblood of your farm, trusted only to Firestone. And if anyone is going to Commodity Classic, I will be there at the Firestone Ag booth, so please stop by, shake my hand. Let's talk about your farm, talk about engines, talk about equipment. I'd love to see pictures of anything that you have that you brought with you on your phone. I'd love to see your operation, your equipment, your family. And I mean that sincerely. I'm honored that you guys and gals or folks listen to me, and I would love to know more about you. 
Alrighty, so now we have a letter here, and uh, this came a while back. It came on December 11th, but I somehow got, I don't want to say lost in my email, but it, I didn't see it. Uh, and this is from Mr. Ken Staltman, and he is from Kansas, I believe. Uh, Missouri, close enough, right? And he writes to me, Hi, Ray. I listened to your interview on Ag PhD today. I'm behind a few days. I am immediately a fan. Loved your interview and already at your website and loading, downloading your podcast. Well, thank you for that. You were talking about fluid testing on machinery. I'm certainly a believer. You see, I am an Air Force Reserve pilot and we conduct SOAP, S-O-A-P, it's an acronym, which stands for Samples on Aircraft All the Time, Spectromatic Oil Analysis Program. It taught me the value of lab analysis to determine wear patterns on internal systems, but I've always wondered the practicality of oil analysis on my farm machinery. And then today I have another favorite podcast guy, you. So here is my, here are my questions. One, what lab do you send your tests to? Okay, to answer that question, I happen to use Oil Analysts Inc. in Washington State. They're a great lab. Uh, they also do a lot in the aviation business. But I'm not saying that they are the only good lab out there. Uh, oil analysis labs, oil testing is a lot like soil testing. What you need to do is you need to find a lab that you feel gives you the most information. Because just like soil testing, some labs will only check a couple of things and other labs will do a whole bunch of things. But I do use Oil Analysts, Inc. in, uh, in I think they're in Spokane, Washington. You could look them up on the in, on the internet and do a Google search. And they, they are excellent, but I know that there are other excellent ones. And just to reiterate, you know, look at... You could go, probably go on a website today and see the different oil labs, and they all charge about the same money and see what information they give you. And you obviously, like a soil test, you don't want a soil test that's just NP and K. You want micronutrients, you want everything else on it, and that's the same thing with a uh, oil test lab. Okay, what fluids do you typically send and how often? Okay, I like to send every fluid along with the coolant i consider that a fluid in the engine and depending upon the application how many hours it gets on it that i usually would like to do it if it's on on my farm i probably do it uh every second year because i have a smaller operation i don't run them many hours but i really would probably suggest on a more dynamic operation to do it at least once a year and, but keep in mind that all of those fluids need to have some use on them for the test to be valid. You cannot change the oil, let's say the engine oil, and, and run it two hours and then pull the sample. So it needs to have about, on a piece of farm equipment, I'd say at least 25 hours on it for it to be uh, valid. And I would basically do it on a, a larger farm once a year. And then if something comes up, which Jesus motor sounds funny, this hydraulic pump sounds funny, then you could do an additional test on that. It would be like doing an in-season soil sample to see what's going on. But if you do it once a year, and uh, they're about $25, $30 a test last time I checked, so you'll have about you know $90 into each machine. Alrighty? And then you could modify that for, you know, if you're a custom harvester or something, you may want to do it twice a year depending upon how many hours you run. But once a year is usually pretty good. Alrighty. Uh, question three, how do you collect them? Quick drain plug? Some way I'm not thinking of. If you're going to do an in-service 
what I mean by in service, you don't plan on changing that fluid. Uh, what I like to do is I or I made an investment of about fifty dollars and I bought a an uh, handheld evacuation pump and most oil test labs sell that and the the, the the sample bottle they give you screws onto the bottom of the pump and then you would uh, put the plastic tubing down through uh, into the fluid usually through the dipstick ho hole in most applications and you would suck a sample and that's what I call an in-service sample. You're not draining the fluid. If you are doing it when you're draining it, then what you want to do is let it drain for two or three seconds, uh, four or five seconds, because you don't want to get all the debris, even though you wiped off the drain plug, but the microscopic test will pick up the debris, and then you want to get uh, the sample in the bottle. You could just put the, the sample bottle underneath the drain. But I like to use the uh, in-service pump, because if I want to do a, a uh, analysis, and i um, you know, halfway between or part of the way between service intervals, I'm not draining fluid out and I'm not using a quick drain plug. So you'll once you get one of those little pumps, they're only about forty-five or fifty dollars, and they give you a whole roll of clear plastic tubing with it, and then you put the sample bottle in there. You'll love it. You'll never do it any other way. Alrighty. Uh, next question: What do you think? What would you do for a machine at an auction? I go to Ritchie Brothers auctions and often think I would like an oil analysis to quickly see if a machine has any issues, but likely a lab won't be able to turn around a sample quick enough, or can they? Is there any way, is there another test that is immediate that might be able to give an indication of something that is very problematic? Something that you could use a dipstick oil to get a reading? If you have a podcast article on this, then just direct me. Again, really liked your talk today on Ag PhD. Thank you, sir. I'll be listening. Ken Stockman, St. Charles, Missouri. The you know that always sent. I I'm I'm 100 percent agreement with you. Agreement isn't a word, uh, Mr. Stott, St Stoltman. I'm pronouncing your name wrong. I should have printed this a lot. I'm sorry. But anyway, uh, you know I cringe when I see these people going to an auction spending you know for anything with a, with an engine on it. I mean you're buying a chisel plow or you're buying a a cultivator or something like that or a plant that you could you know visually look at that. But uh, but anything with an engine, and they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, or you know, high five figures, maybe not six figures on something, and they're not doing any testing. That I cringe on that. And to answer your question, no, I am not aware of anything that would give you a quick result like that, other than doing a visual, you know, pulling the oil filler cap off, looking if there's condensation in it, looking at the machine generally to see whether there was a uh, you know a lack of maintenance all around it. But if I was going to invest in my farm a couple of $100,000, $50,000, $30,000, and I was going to a, an auction, then I would go there uh, way ahead of time, and I would find out when I could pull a sample from that machine, and I would expedite it to the lab. If you do expedited shipping and tell them that you're going to an auction, they would get you that, uh, that test back within a, a, a day or two. Uh, without, and I've never been charged a premium for that. So the thing is that I would not spend, you know, all of that money and then blindly go to an auction and, you know, cross my fingers and hope that it worked out. I know people do it. I would not do it. I'm very conservative. I'm Mr. Due Diligence. I like to do my homework and I want to bid with confidence on that machine. If I am bidding on a machine or even if I'm not bidding, if I'm buying a used piece of equipment, I'll, you know, say to the owner, I want to go pull a sample and uh, get that back. You know, I tell him, look, I'll give you the results. I don't care if I don't buy it. Here's the results. You know what you're up against. So, uh, 
I mean, it's too, to my way of thinking, it's too much of a gamble, and these people buy stuff over the internet, and they, uh, whatever, like I said, I would not, I, I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not rich enough to afford to not take a $25 sample, and then just keep my fingers crossed, so listen, thank you so much, Ken, since I pronounced your name wrong, for listening to me on the Ag PhD radio show. I think I was on a while back. I think it was around Thanksgiving. Uh, But anyway, uh, and I want to thank you all for listening, and I hope that you found this uh, not only educational but enjoyable, and I want you to know that the Hot Rod Farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher, and my beloved America. You have a great week, and hopefully, God willing, you'll be able to tune into the show next week. Take care, and bye-bye.